Um, as a Pac-12 diehard and loyalist, uh, I had told <laughs> friends five years ago that um, it wasn't going to survive. If you were great and you beat your Oregon States, Arizona States, and Washington, you ended up playing for the national championship if somebody thought you were good enough. So it's a different time. SEC Big Ten money is just greater. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is Wednesday, August 9th, and we hope that you're enjoying the show wherever it is you're getting the show. If it's on ESPN's YouTube channel, please hit that little thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel as well. If you're on the podcast, we continue to encourage all of you to like, rate, and subscribe. I cannot encourage you enough. This is so important, y'all. We so appreciate it. We work hard to try to put this show out for you guys to make sure you are as as informed as anybody as it relates to the college football space. We're going to continue to push great content. We're going to continue to talk big picture college football. We're going to start breaking down some games. I can't wait to get to these games. want to give a special shout out to a couple of the people that left really nice reviews the last couple of days. Blaine W., nothing but college football, man. You got it. We appreciate you very much. Iro 806 thank you again for your kind words. And then college football fan slash go Utes. Love that as well. We appreciate you coming to us from the great state of Utah. We have a terrific terrific show in store for you today. We have Colin Cowherd coming on the show. I think it's really valuable. We're deep in the weeds of college football. We are deep in it. All right, we live it. We breathe it. We know these rosters like the back of our hand. We know the coordinator changes. We know about impact freshmen. We know about impact transfer players. I wanted to talk to Colin of the Volume Network and, of course, at Fox Sports. I wanted to talk to him about how he sees college football right now. He covers the sport from a national perspective. He looks at it and knows some teams and knows some trends and knows where the sport is going. I thought it was a terrific time to bring him on, to talk to him about where we're going as a sport, where we can improve, and maybe some things he's noticed there out in California, having watched Big 10 and the Pac-12 very closely in recent years. You'll be shocked at some of the things he has to say. So without much further ado, let's visit with the man himself, the Volume Network, Colin Coward. But when did you notice that it really pivoted to more of a USC-feeling dynasty or a a Mac Brown dynasty where the offense is a 60-40 advantage? I mean, I think it's it's well observed. It had to have been 14 when Lane Kiffin came in. And and it's easy to look at it through the lens of the USC because that's where Lane <laughs> came from. So they, they really started to acknowledge there was a time and a shift in college football at that time where Ole Miss was starting to roll a little bit and they needed to kind of start scoring some points. Auburn had just been to the national championship in 2013 on the heels of a high octane, high-tempo offense that really created a lot of conflict for the defense. I think Coach Saban started to realize, man, it's going to be really hard to win games 21-13 moving forward. So we're going to have to get real comfortable winning games 42-41, which he's had to do a couple times. Now, I actually think, Colin, where it's starting to go back, though, because teams can now simulate with their scout teams the tempo. They can simulate the quarterback play. They can simulate the run pass options. But what they can't simulate is incredible offensive line play, a fullback that's coming at you 100 miles an hour and blowing up your middle linebacker. So I actually think the pendulum starting to shift back the other way. And we've kind of seen that with Nick Saban's hire of Tommy Reese because at Notre Dame, 
we knew what he was all about. It was three yards in a cloud of dust right downhill until you liked it. So I wonder if you're sensing something similar in college football as well. Well, I, I, I say um, you can't really look at Georgia and say we could duplicate that. Okay, right. so the state <laughs> of Georgia. Recruit. You better you better be able to get some dudes right. in on defense if you're going to do that. Georgia was always the sleeping giant in college football. I mean, for years and years, you would talk to NFL scouts, and they're like, why doesn't Georgia win more? Um, you know, we always know that the state of Alabama, Louisiana, Florida, Texas, California have a lot of players. Ohio. Right. Georgia now has as many D1 players as California, and you have yeah. a third of the population or a quarter of the population. So I don't think Georgia is something you can duplicate. They do remind me a little of Alabama early, where it's a defensive culture um, with very capable quarterbacks who are going to get drafted. You, A.J. McCarron, maybe not superstars, maybe not like like a uh, a Caleb Williams or sure, Vince right. but it's a defensive leaning culture. I just think they recruit at a different level, and Georgia's always been a sleeping giant. Um, but uh, you know, I, and I've said this for years, um, even though I work at Fox and we have the Big Ten, and I said this for years when I worked at ESPN. People, SEC dominates recruiting, draft day and Saturday. Get over it. Uh, it's <laughs> it's the best conference. Here's though, what's really fascinating. By including Texas and Oklahoma, and I think specifically Texas, that's another game on the schedule that's going to be, it's becoming an arms race. Texas yeah. money, Texas coaching. I know the SEC fans thumps their chest, but do you really want to face LSU, Georgia, Florida, Texas in one season? Or is there anybody <laughs> in the South that's going, this isn't potentially, and you're going to add Clemson and Florida State here in the next 18 months as well. Could you become just too rich? You're the AFC. You're too powerful. There's too many stars. I mean, I, I think that there are programs, Mississippi State, a good example. When the schedules came out for the 24 season, Mississippi State didn't have Alabama on the schedule. They didn't have many of their SEC West foes, and they were doing parades through the middle of Starkville. But, but hang on, that's your closest team as far as proximity is concerned, even more, even closer as far as just straight mileage from Starkville and Tuscaloosa than it is to Oxford, Mississippi, where Ole Miss resides. And they said, no, 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 we don't want to play them. So I think for some, they are a little bit, not want to say intimidated, but it's they kind of acknowledge where they are at in the pecking order. But I also think, too, if players are going to flock to it and the money's going to be there, but we look at the big, I mean, the Big Ten is comparable. I mean, yes. I, think, I think Wisconsin's an unbelievable program with tremendous history and success. We know what Michigan is. We know what Ohio State is. I've seen Michigan State at their best, even though they didn't have their best that day, but they were 11 win team 10, 12 years ago, playoff team back in 15. SC is, I think, you referenced Georgia as a sleeping giant. SC to me has been the sleeping giant for two decades because there was a time when I was 15 years old when I never thought I'd see them lose a game. I think UCLA is dangerous because Chip Kelly now in the NIL era with his NFL pedigree understands how to work that system. Washington is just getting started under Kelly divorce. I don't think there's one right now that is significantly more difficult than the other. I think the SEC's bottom is better than the Big Ten's bottom. But at the top, you have very capable programs with tremendous resources at their disposal. Um, as a Pac-12 diehard and loyalist, uh, I had told <laughs> friends five years ago, that um, it wasn't going to survive. And my takeaway was once the NFL came back to Los Angeles with two teams, 
is that, you know, Pete Carroll was in a time, no NFL in LA, all the resources, all the resources, all the time, sellouts. Um, And also uh, people were spending their money on USC. People were totally supportive of USC. Uh, Games were sellouts. Also, you didn't have a a Pac-10 tournament you could lose. You didn't have to play a semifinal game. If you were great and you beat your Oregon States, Arizona States, and Washington, you ended up playing for the national championship if somebody thought you were good enough. So it's a different time. Um, and, and so I'm not, uh, I, not that I'm not bothered. I'm bummed out about the PAC 12, Sure, but I, it was, it, it's a SEC big 10 money is just greater. How is that yeah. viewed in the South? How do you look at it? You guys always think we're soft out here anyway, but how is it <laughs> viewed that the four best teams are basically going to join the enemy in the big 10? Well, I don't know if I want any of my uh, Southern friends to know that I'm actually originally from Los Angeles. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't want to be perceived as soft. I don't think you are necessarily. I do think that there is a bit of a perception that when it's good against good and best against best, the likelihood of the SEC winning that game is higher than that of what we see sometimes from the Big Ten. I mean, Ohio State did beat Alabama in 14, has beaten the SEC teams, came within a field goal away of probably being the national champion last year. But those have been more few and far between, even dating back to the 2006, 2007, when the Big Ten just had a difficult time matching up on an annual basis against the best that the SEC had to offer. That's why the SEC won every championship from 08 all the way up until 2013 when Florida State finally brought it home. So I think that will be kind of an interesting evaluation. It's going to be a tug of war. I mean, we don't like them. They don't like us type of mentality for Big Ten fans and for SEC fans. Some will pound their chest about the money earned. Some will pound their chest about the ratings. Everyone's seemingly trying to find an edge. But at the same time, I still feel like the edge – is that both leagues are beyond elite. It's just whether or not now the Big Ten, which doesn't have as much talent density as the SEC, if they'll be able to go south and attract kids up to the north to play at some of those places with a few less Division I level high caliber prospects that they would normally have at their disposal in the SEC. Like South Carolina goes down the street. They can get 15 guys that can play high level D1 ball. Iowa might have to go 250 miles in every direction and they might not find that many. So I think it's just a little bit more difficult when it comes to the recruiting pipeline. But if the identities are clearly established in the Big Ten, I think they can play with anybody. I love Saban. Uh, I think sometimes he can be, um, if Nick wants to talk about something, he's going to go to the podium, and he's going to find something that can get him into what he really wants to talk about. He does this all the time. (laughs) About three times a year, it's like, I'm going to talk about transfer portal. I don't care what your question is. I'm going to bring it up. And there have been two different occasions where he's complained about the NIL. And he said, you know, it's not even, it's not fair. And my takeaway has always been, that's a message. And my my gut feeling was he's a little concerned about Texas. That the fact that Texas money is like USC can't compete with it. Phil Knight in Oregon can't compete with it. The Longhorns have two to three billionaire donors. Right. When Nick talks about the NIL, my takeaway is, he's doing some battles with Sark and some of these they're wrestling people away. I mean, they're getting great recruits. That's my take. What is yours when he complains about the NIL? Cause Alabama's collective I'm sure is just fine. Why <laughs> is he doing that? I, I think it's as much calling to rally the troops of his own fan base. Everyone made yeah. a big deal about the argument between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban 
back in the summer of 22. It was never about Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. It was never about Alabama against Texas A&M. What he was doing and what he thought was a controlled environment amongst friends and family, unknowing that there was televisions there and all this other stuff, he was basically saying, hey, look, this these guys, look at the recruiting class they were just able to bring home. You guys better step it up. That was a call to action for his own right. fan base. I think more so than it was being frustrated with the current system. Look, I mean, are there as many billionaire donors in the state of Alabama as there are in the state of Texas? No, but I would be willing to probably go probably on the record and saying I'd be willing to bet that people worth five or six hundred million are putting up a higher percentage of their net worth to make sure that Alabama succeeds than maybe in Texas or in California or other places. It just means a lot in this particular state. So I will be interested to see how that all unfolds and, and how the arms race really ends up working out. I'm really actually more interested, though, not as much in NIL, but what would you do if you were one of those teams right now that is perceived to not have that war chest of NIL at your disposal? If you're behind as far as your your as far as your approach right now and your television contract, I don't want to say Florida State and Clemson because I think they have enough resources to be able to support them on the recruiting trail. Just look at how they've fared in recent years. But what message would you send if you were one of those teams that was lacking behind and not a part of the Big Two or hopefully en route to the Big Two? Well, Greg, my belief is is that college football is going to become a little bit like college basketball that the playoff is going to be a big chunk of the sport. It will go to 12. Then I think it will go to 16 or 24. Now people are concerned that it'll ruin the college football regular season. And here's why it won't because Greg March madness did not kill college basketball's regular season. We watched Leitner. We watched the running rebels. <laughs> we watched Georgetown. We had March madness. What has killed college basketball is one and done culture. The right. Quality's not good. The playoffs not going to hurt college football because you watch LSU play Georgia. There's 34 NFL players on the field because of the cultural um, reality of college football. You have to play three years. Most guys play four. You have grown men playing. People think by adding to the playoff, it'll hurt college football's regular season. And I said this two days ago on my show, Texas is playing Bama. You're not watching. Really? <laughs> Georgia's playing LSU or Oklahoma. You're not watching? Really? USC's at Michigan. You're watching, and you're watching, even though they may meet again in the playoff, you're watching because Caleb Williams is going to be against their first-round quarterback pick. It's Harbaugh Lincoln-Riley. Play End-of-year playoffs don't kill the sport. Lack of quality has killed college basketball. Hell, Victor Wembanyama, he didn't even play college basketball. Scoot Henderson, <laughs> Jalen Green. So as long as you're forced to go to college, I'm going to watch Georgia, Bama, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, Michigan, Ohio State. So, But I do think, Greg, to your initial question, the bottom part of that, 10, 11, 12, that's going to be the area where an Oregon State can win that Mountain West if that happens, and they can get in. You're going to get four from the SEC, four from the Big Ten, one or two from the Big 12. But instead of getting like Cincinnati and we argue about it, you'll get two of those. You'll get two of those. And so I I, I think what will happen is we're going to do 12 for about four years. It's going to make everybody a fortune and everybody's going to go, all right, let's go to 16. <laughs> and it won't hurt the sport. You're going to watch Auburn, Alabama, 
even if you played a second time. Greg, you and I have watched March Madness since we were kids. Sure. If Duke and Carolina play in. in the Elite Eight for the fourth <laughs> time, we're watching. Yeah. You're right. There's no denying that. But I am curious your thoughts. Are we getting to a point in the NIL era in the college football world where they're looking at the top 25, the coaches poll came out the other day and people are saying, all right, how many teams can win it? And people aren't getting past five right now, as far as teams that can actually win the championship. Now, can a Caleb Williams elevate his team to a level that is just unrecognizable and maybe pull off two upsets and route to a championship? Sure. But the Vince Young taking over the game against USC back in 05 doesn't feel like it's as capable nowadays. Do you still think that Cinderella or a run like a Cinderella is possible in college football? Yeah, I, I do, because I think um, the SEC's always had more elite athletes, but the game used to be um, tighter and smaller and that Nick Saban could suffocate you. I watched the Ohio State play Georgia. And just because of those receivers for Ohio State, Ohio State and C.J. Stroud, they moved that ball. I thought they were right. a better team that day. <laughs> right. Caleb Williams, Quinn Ewers, C.J. Stroud. The game is, is, you know, if you go back, Greg, and go back to Nebraska when they were winning titles, they had one receiver wide. Right. I mean, everybody was jammed up on the size <laughs> of my screen. The game is so fast and so wide, and so many young players now want to be quarterbacks or wide receivers that nobody, including Nick Saban or Georgia, is going to cover Marvin Harrison. You can't do it. And so I think the USC's and the Texas's and the Notre Dame's may need to have a Caleb Williams or a Vince Young. Okay, they have to make up something, right? Stetson Bennett's good. Caleb Williams is different. Trevor yeah. Lawrence beats Bama. Those schools to beat the SEC King have to be better at quarterback and probably transcendent. You know, a Trevor Lawrence, that, that's a different, Caleb's a different kind of number one pick. I mean, Baker was a number one pick, Caleb. That's not close. Right. <laughs> and I do think the field is so spread now, and the offensive coaching is so good that if you have that superstar quarterback and you're 85% of Georgia's roster, Bama's roster, you can win. I watched Tennessee last year drop a, was it like a 50-burger on Alabama? They couldn't stop them with Hendon Hook. Right. I, I, that's they've scored 52. Look at you. I mean, uh, thanks for rubbing it in and bringing it up. I appreciate, appreciate the <laughs> reference. Uh, I am curious your thoughts on this because I don't think anyone in the world does a better job with analogies and being able to recreate the idea and the visual. As I'm listening to you, you can sum up something up and I'm like, how did he come up with that? And I tried to do my best Colin Cowherd impression and said, if you put too much on the quarterback's shoulders, it's like the quarterback is the bicep and all you do are curls. Meanwhile, your triceps are atrophy. Your pecs are atrophy. Your legs are atrophy. If you put too much on that position, it's going to actually result in the rest of your team not being as good. Now, it's totally opposite from what you just described, but I think there's a real analogy to be made at, say, Alabama, maybe even USC to a certain extent last year. At Ohio State at times, especially on defense, back in the end of the Urban Meyer era, or early early era of, of what Ryan Day is doing. Dwayne has says their defense fell off. I mean, other things, the run game has at times fallen off. Do you think that there's a possibility that if you put too much on your quarterback, the rest of the roster actually won't be competitive enough to maybe win the national championship? Well, 
a twofold. I had Urban Meyer on my show today and I made this point and Urban even said, he goes, you know, that's actually a really good point. I said, Ohio State's receiver recruiting is so good now. They only take five stars Yeah, that they've become less physical as a team because you have to get those players the ball or they're not going to go to Ohio State. And I said to Urban, I watch Ohio State and it's almost like, okay, we got to give Marvin eight looks. <laughs> this could not. And I said, I feel like Ohio State is not a finesse team, ask Georgia, but there's a they're not they're not quite sure what they are. Simultaneously, Michigan has doubled down on physical play and running, and now they've separated between the two. And another point on this, I said this years ago on the air. I said the downside to making the NFL so quarterback dependent, and all this, Greg, is based on the CTE check the NFL wrote for almost a billion dollars. Right. Change the rules. They literally now the middle of the field is offense. You can't hit anybody except the running back. And I said, the downside to this sport, it'll be good for fantasy players and ratings. But if you don't have a star quarterback, we know you're done. And you look at the Super Bowl bubble, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Lamar, Jalen Hurts. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, that bubble used to feel like 15 teams. It feels like seven. I mean, Kirk Cousins is good, but in this day and age, he's simply not good enough. Dak's good. He's not good enough. And so I I do think, to your point of atrophying, due to safety reasons, the NFL and college football, to a lesser degree, is so quarterback-reliant and driven. You don't want football. That's Canadian football. You can only win with passing. We don't right. want that. I want defense. I like when Georgia rocks people. Those Georgia Notre Dame games were physical and intense in line of scrimmage. That's what separates us from the CFL. Yeah. So I, 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 I do think physicality is still a huge. I mean, listen, the best offensive line wins most NFL games. If you have a yeah. competent quarterback and you control the clock, you win most games. At least to a certain, I've gotten to the point in college football though, because of the advent of spread and no huddle and all that stuff, it's almost like offensive line play. As long as you're always on a liability. Now in the NFL, it's different. Those pass rushers, when you got, you know, 35 year old Von Miller still wrecking havoc. Like, I mean, we were talking about guys that are just different and not everybody has a guy like that on the end of the line of scrimmage on the sec. Yeah. Most teams do even Mississippi state, Vanderbilt had a guy last year that was legit. Kentucky always has two or three. Big Ten, Ohio State's got them. Michigan's got them. Michigan State occasionally has them. Penn State absolutely has them. We haven't seen someone at SC or UCLA's got one. Washington's got two. But you don't see that down and down a great, unbelievable defensive front to where your offensive line has to be rock solid or else your quarterback's going to get killed. So I, yeah. maybe it's coming down in that direction a little bit as the talent starts to separate, but I don't see the depth of defensive line talent in the college game that we do in the NFL. No, I see it in the SEC. You know, the state of Louisiana probably has 6 million people that live in it, and they have eight good D1, D-line prospects a year, 8 to 12. Probably. He's got... California's got 38 million people. We have three. I mean, some of it, Greg, I've said is diet. You know, the West Coast, it's just health and wellness. You know, you grew up in California. Health and wellness out in California. I mean, like I I say this, I had lunch with somebody today and he's a Californian and he lives in the, you know, he lives in a different part of the country. He goes, 
He goes, you come back to California. It's like, does anybody eat out here? Like, (laughs) she's like offensive lineman in high school or two fifty five. It's like, and so I, I just think other parts of the country, um, they just, you know, the SEC produces more. Midwest produces them. Northeast does. I, I always, you know, I just, I kind of feel like this college football season, I'm really excited because I, I was known when I was at ESPN as a college football guy. Then I thought the sport got really insular and very Southern. And, you know, I would say the SEC is the best, but when you're a syndicated talk show host, you have to talk about national sports. Yeah. I talk a lot of NFL. I'll talk a UFC fight. For about seven to eight, maybe 10 years, college football, once USC eroded, it felt like the sport was down to three teams, Ohio State and two SEC teams. I actually think Texas this year, Michigan this year, and USC can play with anybody. I don't know if they can, but I think they match up. You know, Alex Grinch, the coordinator for USC, has got to prove himself. He's got three NFL bodies up front. They had none last year. So due to the transfer portal, they got three Sunday guys. Because uh, their corners and safeties are fine. They have maybe the best safety in the country, Kalen Bullock. Their offense is exceptional. Uh, they've gone out and gotten NFL bodies on the O-line. So I always feel like with the transfer portal, you can fix one side of the football per year. So USC fixed their offense last year. They went and fixed right. their defense this year. It takes about two years. Without the transfer portal, it took Nick Saban a third recruiting class to get it rolling, right? Like yeah. you were part of that. Now it takes two years. And I think Brian Kelly, first year, got the offense kind of figured out. Now he's going to get the defense figured out. So I have Michigan placing LSU in the championship. And I don't think LSU is the best SEC team. I don't think they're the deepest. But I love the coach. I love the quarterback. And I looked at their schedule and I'm like, I think LSU is going to, I think they're going to, you know, it's 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 going to be a lot of people knocking each other off. I like LSU a lot. If LSU wins the national championship, what's the headline in the LA Times or wherever, your local paper, the Manhattan Beach Post, whatever it is? Well, I think it would be a real story because Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame and Notre Dame right. has a big has resonance here. And I and I think if they beat a Michigan and it was a competitive game, I think it would be a win for college football. It's SEC winning's not bad. SEC beating Michigan State in the playoff by 40 is bad. Right. So if it's LSU 35-33, I got no problem with that. USC losing. Um I don't I don't want USC and Sam Darnold playing Ohio State in two series in. It doesn't even look like they're playing the same sport. Right. So I don't think the <laughs> SEC winning is bad. I think them dominating and suffocating teams is bad for the sport. So I and I don't think we'll see that this year. I think Quinn Ewers, Cable uh, uh Caleb Williams, uh the Michigan kid, I think those guys can move the ball on anybody. Listen, Ohio State I thought they outplayed Georgia. I did. I, I really, I thought that. They, I, I mean, it'd be, hard, it'd be hard for us to push back on that. I don't know if all of the I could. Yeah. So I think we're in a good spot. I think going forward, the really big brands not in the SEC have really good coaches. And I think that's good. I think Sark, uh, you know, you can say what you want about him. He can recruit and he can coach offense. Lincoln Riley is very clever. Harbaugh's unorthodox, but more than competent. Dabo Sweeney's great. So I think we're in a good space right now going forward in college football. As long as FSU and Clemson stay in the ACC, because you thought I was going to not even catch up, catch that for a second. Well, yeah. What's stopping them from going? You said they were going to the SEC. What's stopping Clemson and Florida State from maybe going to the Big Ten? I don't think they feel like the Big Ten. Hmm. So I, first of all, the Big Ten, and this sounds snooty, but they view themselves as sort of an academic elite conference. Washington, USC, UCLA are considered really elite universities. 
So was Northwestern, Michigan, Penn State. Wisconsin's considered a public ivy. I'm not knocking Florida State Clemson. Those feel like football powers. One of the things I appreciate about the SEC is they don't lose any sleep. They love their football. They're not, you know, they're not going to pretend they're this or that. Not that universities don't matter, but they're all in on football. It drives the cultural bus and the and the revenue bus. I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? I, I lived down in Tampa. I covered the Gators. I loved the passion. I think the Pac-12 got way too precious. That's why they've unraveled. Yeah. I mean, Cal football, Cal cares more about rugby than football some years. So I can't take them seriously. But I do think the Big Ten would love Notre Dame. And if Notre Dame came in, would consider Stanford. But I think some of their school presidents, they view themselves a certain way. And whether it's snooty or not, you may disagree, but I kind of feel that they they think Washington and USC and UCLA fit their academic profile. Am I wrong? I think you're 100% right. We've said it before. The only pretentious fan base in the SEC would be Vanderbilt. Everyone else is kind of like, man, we're just happy to be here. Let's win the party, right? <laughs> Let's win the game, win the party. Let's see what happens. But That's right. I don't, I'm, I'm docking my degree at the time, but I'm not. I mean, we're proud of our football. That's what it is, man. This has been awesome. This has been a great conversation. I so appreciate you, brother. By the way, I know three families, in fact, one of my dearest friends, Trace Gallagher at Fox News, dear friend for 20 years. His daughter goes to Alabama, loves it. So I don't know what it is, but Manhattan Beach, California has a lot of kids that <laughs> went to Bama. I'm not I'm not joking. My daughter went in a, um, a leadership conference years ago to Cape Town, South Africa with a, about 15 SEC girls. And uh, loved it, loved the girls. And and she, you know, she considered it. She considered going to the South. So it's really interesting. I think there's there's a mystique about the South and country music and college football. It's almost mysterious to kids out West. Um, and I think people are very attracted to it. I know a lot of families, uh, you know, I work out at a, a gym around the corner from my house and Alabama is a topic all the time during the football season. Uh, there's, wow. a lot of, there's a lot of roll tied shirts in my little beachy California gym. So and a lot of that Saban, it's the greatest dynasty ever. And it's, it's noteworthy, right? I, I mean, I think it is, but I, then again, I live 45 minutes from Tuscaloosa. So <laughs> uh, not, not exactly in the same part of town as you buddy, but this has been awesome, man. It's a great conversation. I appreciate you so much. Love what you do. Love what you do at the volume. Appreciate you guys. And, and we look forward to continue to watch your, your pod and your show and listen on FS1, all that other fun stuff, my friend. Great visit with Colin there. Awesome perspective on where he sits out in California on the world of college football. He's so dialed in. I know a lot of people think, hey, he's doing all these other sports. Man, I'm telling you, he talks college ball. He loves college ball. And we appreciate him and his team at The Volume for giving us a little time today to talk about it with him. He's got some interesting points in there, man. Some interesting points in there. All right? We also want to continue to always interact with you alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. We've seen so many of your emails come through and we continue to go through them every single day to make sure that we try to fit them in the show as best we possibly can. You can also submit them at alwayscfb on Twitter or X, whatever it is. I don't, is it X? Is it Twitter? I still call it Twitter. Alwayscfb on both Instagram and on Twitter. So always submit some questions there as well. Jack, where are we going today, buddy? All right, Greg. First one comes from Matt in Kentucky. He wants to know, is Louisville the most improved team in the country with the portal additions? And could Louisville make some noise this year with Jeff Brom? 
You know, what I think's really interesting about Louisville is there have been a bunch of portal additions. You referenced it. Jack Plummer naturally knows the system, spent time at Purdue with Jeff Brom, was a starter at one point with him at Purdue as well. But I'm most interested probably in what they have coming in at wide receiver. I mean, you think about Jamari Thrash, uh, you think about Jimmy Callaway, you think about Kevin Coleman. And these guys were highly regarded players at their previous institution. So you have Jack Plummer, you got a really talented cast of wide receivers to kind of to help move along that position that lost a couple of key players. Then you look too on the defensive side. Defensively, adding that much depth in the secondary, they'll be able to roll different looks. They'll be able to do a bunch of different things. So I'm really liking what I've seen from the portal additions. And we're talking about a big time portal class. The only thing that concerns me is I think that people are excited about the future for Louisville, as they should be. I'm good with that. I totally support the excitement that's coming from Louisville. I really believe that. But sometimes Rome isn't built in a day. And when you think about Jeff Brom, hey, he's he's coming home. He knows the area. His OC knows the area. Like These guys have played at Louisville. They know everybody. They're going to rally the troops in NIL. All that is going to potentially happen, and it might happen sooner than later, but we can't let off-season momentum impact our impressions of what the season might be. Because if that was the case, then Texas A&M would have won the national championship last year. Hey, a bunch of new guys coming in. They're all really talented. They're all going to be really good. They're probably going to win the national championship. No, they didn't. They just won the off-season last year. Louisville has done a really good job in the off-season in creating momentum. Now they got to carry it into the season, and then hopefully the season's good enough to where that momentum continues into next offseason, and that's when I think you could potentially make a leap. So very optimistic about Louisville, but as far as being one of the best teams in the ACC right now, I would have them no higher than fifth. But then again, nothing's going to hold me to them just yet, but I would have them behind a couple other teams that I'll get to later as far as dark horses. <clears throat> one might be North Carolina. <clears throat> one might be Miami. One might be NC State one might actually be a team to be named later. So I would have them no higher than fifth right now, but still a step in the right direction for a team that's been around 500 over the last four years. All right, next one comes from Lenny in Kansas. He says, what are the chances Kansas State could repeat as Big 12 champs? Well, the past six Big 12 title game participants have gone a combined 42 and 30, okay, the following season. Only one has gone back to Dallas for the Big 12 championship game in consecutive seasons. Now, here's the concern that I have for Kansas State. You lost three remarkably explosive offensive playmakers. You lost arguably your best defender. You lost a veteran presence in the middle of that defense as well. You have a lot of culture, all right? A lot of culture. I don't know if there's a team that develops and creates a culture in the Big 12 as well as Kansas State does right now. I mean, we're talking about guys that will do whatever it takes for their program, for each other, and that wins nowadays. That wins when you see roster turnover like crazy all over the place. If you have a team and an established culture and established identity, that can win. But is the roster turnover a little bit too much off of last year's roster to potentially make a run this year? I personally think Kansas State is a really good football team. I just don't know if they're going to be good enough to rally up and get back to Dallas. Now, 
If you look at what they already lost, the fact that they're still in the preseason top 20, the fact that they're still in the conversation for a Big 12 title game berth should tell you what Chris Kleiman's done in Manhattan, Kansas. I mean, a program that has just gotten better and better and better. And now I don't know if they're going to be stable. I think they come back just a little bit, but I wouldn't expect them to be down for long. I think they still have a great quarterback. I think they did a good job landing a solid impact player in the portal at running back to help fill the void of what was one of the best running backs in recent memory there at Kansas State. So I think they're going to be really good. I think they'll be really sound, and you know they're going to be really well coached. But winning the Big 12, I have a really difficult time anticipating that. Now, they're never going to be the most talented team in the Big 12, and not at least the way they're currently built. Texas and Oklahoma are going to take the cake there as far as talent on the roster. But their culture is as strong as anybody, which means they can always win the game. Will they? We'll find out. But right now, I don't see them returning to Dallas for the Big 12 title game. Thanks so much for being with us. It was a terrific visit with Colin. So appreciate the time. Highly recommend checking out his show. He loves college football. I mean, he loves it. He can't get enough of it. He watches from 9 a.m. out there in Pacific time all the way to midnight every single week. He can't get enough. So make sure you check him out on the Volume Network. He does an amazing job covering the sport. And man, he's dialed in. I mean, for a guy that has to know the NBA, the NFL, all these other things, he's dialed in. I mean, he knows the sport and covers it closely. That's for sure. We continue to appreciate all of you for liking, rating, and subscribing to the podcast. It means so much to us. And I promise you every single rating, every single review, we read them and we acknowledge them and we very much appreciate them. So for all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jack, Jake, I'm Greg. We hope you have an amazing day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.